Now, our text for this morning comes from the book of Philippians, starting in chapter 2. I'll give you guys a second to flip there. You can also follow along. It will be on the screen behind me. So starting in verse 1, going through verse 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hannah Kay. This is a pleasure to be coming up after you. Excited for Hannah Kay as she's praying through what life looks like post-residency, weighing options and discerning that. Continue to pray for her and Bo and Miriam and Amy Stanton as they proceed in what's next. Um, There are things in life that, not complicated, yet seem impossible. Case in point, right here. This is a golf ball. The object of this game is to put this ball into a hole that is about as uncomplicated as it gets. And yet, somehow, I continue to be fooled by my father to go out and golf. My sanctification somehow leaves. It's like a little demon ball just sucks all my Jesus-likeness up into it. And I try to hit it that way really far, and I do. I hit it really far right over there. So if you live at the links and you're like, I don't know, who keeps hitting my car? I'm very sorry. Um, Forgive me as Christ has forgiven you. Um, Yeah, not complicated game. Seems impossible. An Iron Man? I mean, not complicated. You run, you ride a bike, and you swim. It's like, you know, five-year-old competition. What can we have five-year-olds do that will help parents out in the long run? Run, bike, swim until they just can't do anything else. I tried to run to my car this morning in the rain and realized that's impossible. Not going to be able to do an Ironman. Too hard. Uh, was pretty winded after like, I think, 20 yards from my house to the car. Not going to happen. Not a complicated event. Just, it's, it's impossible. Raising kids. If you, you have children... Uh, you understand the complexities, or lack thereof, of this gift called sleep. Not a complicated subject. Dads are proficient in it. They don't even have to lay down. They can just sit somewhere, and they're out. Done. It's easy. Not complicated. But somehow kids make it impossible. It's like they're communicating in Morse code, like, all right, it's my turn. 4 a.m., you go kick them right in the neck. All right. Tomorrow night... 2 a.m., it's you. Tell them you're sick. You don't feel good. All right, awesome, good work. Next night, tell them you had a bad dream. They're suckers for it. We'll go after them. And then, hey, let's all do it again. Let's actually get sick this time. And for a whole week, it's like nothing, there's no, no one knows about sleep. They just forgot about it. 
No one's done it before. It's somehow not complicated, but impossible to have sleep. Forgiveness is a little like that. You ever had somebody, like, do something really wrong to you? Bad to you? Wicked to you? And want to be forgiven? Not a very complicated subject, but it seems impossible to forgive someone of that? How about unity? Really easy to say from a pulpit, let's, let's be one. Let's have some team chemistry, y'all. Let's, let's do this. It seems impossible. Because I know me. I know my own opinions. As a third born, I have a propensity to getting what I want when I want it. As my dad would attest, my siblings would attest, I have a miraculous gift in making things more difficult for those around me. I, I don't need any help at it. I'm actually pretty good, pretty proficient, pretty awesome at that. Uh, I also know you. I can look out. I hear what you say, either with your mouth or with your fingers. I've been at Thanksgiving. Don't talk about money, religion, or politics. And that's what we have to talk about. That's the only subject that's on the table for Thanksgiving this year. And instead of being one family, I'd rather be in different rooms as one family other places. It's, unity seems not complicated, but it's nearly impossible. Why? Because we come from different backgrounds. We have different interests. We all are trying to go our own directions. It's just hard to be united on anything these days. Division. Separating, that's what's easy. That's what our world says you need to be ready and willing to do. Unity seems impossible. Which is why I think Paul lifts it up so highly in last week's text and this week's text. That's why I think the scriptures talk about it so much. And so, let's talk about this subject this text there's you know there's a few passages in the scripture that you you kind of just have to say like these are these are some of the top ones this is like one of those passages hard to imagine a lot of texts that rank above this one like that's not nice some of the the scriptures are all great and even no let's just be honest i've taught on the genealogies on wednesday and some of you didn't show up because it was on the genealogies i know you don't think they're all the same this Philippians 2 passage, wow, hard to beat. Paul, no pressure. Paul leans over and says, hey, don't worry. This is only my favorite text in the world and the first one I ever preached. So don't mess it up. And you like touch me. I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, motivation. There's a weight to this text. And I don't know if you read this and heard this for the first time, what questions you have, but I know a lot of you, you've heard this before. Maybe, maybe it's old hat. Maybe it's one you've, you've memorized. But this text, whew, maybe, maybe it didn't seem complicated to you, but it is almost impossible. Well, look at the first word, if. If. It's going to take a long time to get through this sermon if you're starting with that one. If. Conditional phrase, if. I don't know your general disposition toward conditional phrases. If you don't share this, 1,000 cats are going to die. What? Because of a social media post? Uh, if you don't do this for me, then I'm not going to be your friend. Oh, wow. I didn't know our friendship was so conditional. Um, if you don't say this in this way, then you must hate me. No? 
Okay, how about this one? Just trigger warning for all of you young people. If you don't wear a mask, you don't love people. Or if you wear a mask, you don't understand anything and you are stupid. Okay? It doesn't matter which side of the aisle you were on that one, but you were wrong in somebody's book and hated for it. Okay? It was like, you're just, right now you're feeling, oh my goodness, you're just feeling if you have a mask on your face because you either didn't wear it enough, you wore it too much. I don't know. Uh, we all have that somebody who was angry at, about how we handled COVID. You're like, don't talk about it anymore. We're four years out. It still feels like yesterday. That's okay. Um, we all have have made it through a little scarred, a little triggered from things like disagreeing with somebody. If you don't do this, then that must mean this. It can be like manipulative. If you don't believe what I believe, then you must hate me. If you don't do what I think you should do, then you must hate them. We, we try to manipulate people all the time. All the time. That's not what Paul is doing here, though. Not, not what he's doing. He says if, he gives this conditional statement, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation or comfort in love, any fellowship or participation in the Spirit, any affection, any mercy. He says those, not trying to manipulate us, but trying to remind us of our identity and to call us to live into our previous commitments. Remember last week, Philippians 1.27 says, you're citizens of heaven now. In light of who God is, in light of what God has done, here's your identity because of your faith in Jesus. You're a citizen of heaven. You may live in Philippi. You may dwell and walk among the earth, but your citizenship is in heaven. What does that mean? That means you're going to live in light of the gospel. You're going to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. That's what we do. Because our actions flow from our identity, and our identity flows from who God is and what he's done. That's just the natural progression of how it's supposed to work. And so Paul's reminding them, if, if you've experienced being strengthened because of Christ, because you're in Christ, if you have experienced any comfort from the love you've experienced from God, if you've experienced fellowship, you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, if you've experienced God's affection and his mercy towards you, then do this thing. He's not manipulating. He's reminding us who we are. He's reminding us of our commitments that we've already made. If you've experienced these things, then here's what I need you to do. And the thing he asks them to do isn't all that complicated either. Actually, pretty straightforward. He says, make my joy complete. Paul in Philippians 1.4 already says, like, every time I think about you, I pray for you with joy. You bring me joy. He's not some disconnected apostle. He's like a father figure. 2 Corinthians 11.28 talks about Paul's like agony that he feels for the churches, this weight that he feels because he wants them to experience the life that they're intended for in God. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to continue. He wants them to stand firm in midst of the persecution and the suffering that they're experiencing. He wants them to complete that joy which has already started. If you've got people you pour into or, or children, then you understand that. Yeah, they, they bring you joy, but you want to know that when you're done with them, when you either move on into a new stage of life or you pass on into the next life, that there is a continuation, there will be a completed joy, that that project that you've taken on will come to completion. 
Paul says, like, if this is true of you, if you truly are citizens of heaven and if you've experiences, experienced these things from God, then make my joy complete. How? How, Paul? How, how can we make your joy complete? Sim- simply stated to, by unity, through unity. He, he says it like this in Philippians Chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You want to complete my joy? Then be one. He uses the same word at the beginning and the end of that phrase. The thinking the same way actually means to have the same mind the same intent, the same goal, to be one in purpose. We're to be able to link arms and look ahead toward a common goal. Each of us different with different gifts and different backgrounds, looking different. Each of us having different opinions on smaller things, but on this thing, on Christ, on Jesus, on the mission, we're all headed in the same direction. We're supposed to be having the same love. To love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as ourselves. In light of the love that we've been comforted with by God, we're to extend that toward others. We're to be united in love, but also to be united in spirit. The, the word there is actually to be one-souled, which I think is a, a beautiful image. To be, to be one-souled, to be so intricately connected that there's just this bond that we experience that's unexplainable. That we, we can come from different places speak different languages, but there's something that unites us that transcends things like economical background or opinions on politics or what we look like. Something that bonds us because we're same-souled. We're united in spirit. If you are who you say you are in light of what God has done, then make my joy complete by being united. Sounds not too complicated, but seems impossible. Because I know me, and I know you, and I know us. I know how fragile things like a church community really are. How difficult it is to feel truly connected in your life group. How easy it is for a home to be divided and separated. How quickly we betray or cast out our friends. We do not have a propensity toward unity. We actually have quite the opposite. Unity may not sound too complicated, but it it seems impossible. So how do we do it? How do we rally around, become of of same mind and same love and same desire and going in the same direction? How, How do we do it, Paul? Well, it's actually not all that complicated either. He says the means to unity is humility. The only way we will achieve the unity Jesus intended us to experience and that we all claim to desire is through humility. Here's what he says in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing. Not a thing. Do, Do no thing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Pay attention to the details here. On that verse 4 especially, it doesn't say everyone should look not to his own interests, but also 
to the interests of others. As if, like, this is a text to, hey, you need to get you right, and then out of the overflow and the leftovers, then you can help others. You know, there's some translations that might water it down like that, but that's not this text. It's not there in the Greek. It's just not. It's pretty clear. Don't look to your own interests, but rather, but instead to the interests of others. There may be some text or some book out there by some leadership guru that will tell you, first get you right. First you, and then once you're overflowing with all this goodness and awesomeness, then then you pour out toward others. That's just not this text. It's just not this text. Well, Justin, you just don't understand. Listen, there are 1,000 caveats that could be said about this. 1,000. But there's at least one, one that prevents me from going down that road. And it's Jesus himself. Look at verse 5. Adopt the same attitude. Okay, that's the same word for that same thinking process, that same mind that he said earlier. Same word, three times in this text. The same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? Well, what's the attitude of Jesus? We saw in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, that we know the heart of Jesus, that he's gentle. That same word actually means humble. That he's humble and lowly in heart. Jesus, the creator of the universe, the king of kings, when he came here and put on flesh, his heart, his disposition, was one of humility. It was one of being lowly, lowering himself. That was his heart. It would make sense then that that was his mind as well. So look, verse 6, Jesus who existing in the form of God, the essence of God, the being of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited or something to be taken advantage of. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You say, Paul, that you want us to be unified, and you say that the way we're unified is through humility. But how do we do that? What does that look like? You said we can't be selfish or conceited, that we actually have to consider others' interests as above our own, to see others as more significant than ourselves. That's impossible. It's not. It's not. Sure, when you're enslaved to sin, it was impossible. But not so with you. You're citizens of heaven now. You've been released from the slavery in your mind and in your heart to think of yourself as above others or to put your interests and needs above others. No, something actually has changed. Jesus himself not only enables us to be humble, but is the example of the humility we're supposed to follow. Jesus eternally back, all the way back, existed. He, he, he is fully God. He, he exists in the essence, the being, the form of God. And yet, When he was given this assignment to come down here to earth, he did not want to take advantage of that. He actually emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He limited himself for the sake of you and me. He lowered himself in the majesty. He didn't become less God or not God for a time, still God, and yet human. Think about that, how crazy that is, that God would put on flesh, flesh that he invented, 
flesh that he holds together. The same muscles and glands that it is required to spit into his face, he held together. When Romans and Jews were ridiculing him, abusing him, hating him, hurting him, killing him, those muscles, those fibers, those bones, all of that was held together by him. He let it happen. He willed for it to happen. He knew it was going to happen, and he did it. He took on all of that. He became obedient. The lawgiver, the one who made the rules, the boundaries, all of them, for you and me and for the sea, for the moon, the sky, and the stars, all of it. He emptied himself made himself nothing, limited himself. He, being fully God, still being God, put on human flesh. Why? So that he could become obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Roman cross was invented as the most humiliating way possible to kill somebody. So it doesn't just take your life, but it actually encourages everyone who's like you or thinks like you to not want to do the things that you were doing, to shame you and your family so bad that they would just have all the wind taken from their sails. That's how humble he was. So, so when we say we don't have the ability to consider others' interests and not just our own, it's just not true. Jesus has actually enabled us to be able to do it. We don't have the ability to consider others as more significant than ourselves, that's just not true. He has given us the example to be able to follow, to do it. Uh, I, I hope, I pray, I truly do pray that you've experienced, you've been on the, the other side of this. That, that you know the feeling when somebody does something for you, serves you, is kind to you, helps you, goes out of their way to consider you. It's a weird feeling because it feels almost dirty and gross. It's like, okay, uh, I, I, like, I, don't, I feel bad. Now I feel like indebted to you. I feel like I got to make it up to you. And I don't know who you, what, what kind of guy you are or kind of lady you are. Some of us, like, we won't let others help us. We won't. It's actually like pride. It's pride, which is actually the opposite of humility, which actually doesn't help unity but prevents it. Peter tried to be proud. Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Oh, really, Peter? Because if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part of me. Well, I guess I'll let you wash all of me then. He kind of figured it out. But if you're somebody who won't allow someone to help you, to serve you, you're, you're, you're proud. You're not strong in some kind of honorable way. You're actually denying somebody else the opportunity to be like Christ to you. And you have a heart that is hard. I hope you've experienced those blessings. I can tell you I have experienced some of those blessings recently. Uh, my, my wife tried to go to an estate sale not far from this church and called me and let me know that uh, her van was stuck promptly in some mud. And so, you know, I'm going to save the day. I've got a truck now. And so I'm going to drive that thing over there. I'm going to pull her out. Guess what? I got stuck. I was quite frustrated. And Ty Owen, who was also estate sailing, stood in the rain Got money, muddy, broke a rope of his trying to pull us out, stayed with us until Jordan Weston finally came and saved the day with a big truck and a big rope and helped us. 
and I feel indebted to them. I feel a little bad how gross and muddy they were that I had to disrupt their day and their plans and they came and they helped me. I hope you've experienced that. I, I hope that you're somebody who can more naturally see the world like that because I'm not. I have a magical ability to be selfish. I have a strong disposition toward being conceited toward doing what I want, what I'm interested in. I think I come by it honestly, though. My parents were like that, not just Mark and Renee, but Adam and Eve. All of us are like that. We come from a long line of people who like to get our way, who are selfish, who are conceited. That word conceited literally means empty glory. We're people who love to pursue empty glory. Jesus, who truly was glorious, actually emptied himself, poured himself out, assumed human flesh, became like a servant, like a slave, so that he could lift us up. My dad told me not to do this. He was a doctor. My mom is gone, so I will continue to do so um, and ask for forgiveness later. Here's the best way I can think about this, okay? Jordan told me there was a 24-foot version of this, and I said, I'm good. This is great. I think they get the point. Here's Jesus. He, being in the form of God, the essence of God, the being of God in heaven, dwelling with the Father and the Spirit in perfect union, eternally in the past, he was exalted because he was who he was. He's up here. He's already at the top. And yet what he did... To, to be submissive, to empty himself, to serve, to be humble, was choose, willingly obey to come down to a place that was gross and smelly, wicked, evil, full of brokenness, death, disease, and walk amongst us. He, he was high and he willingly came low. Why? Because he knew we were down here. He, he knew our interests, actually. He, he thought of our needs above his status. He, he came down here in order to lift us up. He came and he willfully put on flesh. He incarnated. He dwelled among us so that you and I could be made right with God. So that you and I could experience new life. So that you and I could have a new identity. So that you and I wouldn't be slave to sin. So that you and I wouldn't have to face the punishment of spiritual, relational, and physical death that we might experience life. And here's what God did. Here's what the Father did. Look at verse 9. For this reason, for this reason, Jesus came down, emptied himself, take on the form of a servant. He, he, he humbled himself for this reason that he even became obedient to death. For this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He was there, and he came here, and then because of his coming here and doing what he did, he was exalted again where he is now. And he is ruling over all things, and someday he's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. All will experience this first resurrection, and they will be judged not on empty glory, 
not on their ability. Here's what we like to do. We're down here in the muck and the mire, and we try to climb it ourselves. And the way we think we get higher, the way we think we get to go up is like we, we try to pursue good grades in school. We think that'll lift us up higher. We, we try to build that resume during college and then we get the good job and that will help us go higher. And then actually we grow in our income because we're moving up the corporate ladder and then we actually want to grow our influence over others and so we become more popular and find ways to put ourselves on the top and what we end up doing is hurting people all along the way. That's us, that's you and that's me. We think the way to get here is by serving ourselves. Selfish ambition and grabbing after empty glories. But it's not. Actually, when we pursue glory in that way, when we die, it just goes nowhere. That money we accumulated, gone. That popularity and fame doesn't matter. The only thing that will matter, the only thing that will matter when we meet God is this right here. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee, at the end, when Jesus returns and judges the living and the dead, okay, everyone will face a resurrection, and we will come before God in judgment, and everyone will be on their knees. The atheists, the agnostics, the people who are not following Jesus, every one of us will be on our knees. That means either you have willfully gotten on your knees in submission to him, or you have been put there by God. You've been made to submit. And I got to tell you, the outlook for those who have been made to submit, who are bowing the knee unwillingly, isn't great. Just a little insight if you haven't read the Bible. Those who unwillfully have to submit their life to God, they don't get to experience life eternal, but death eternal. They don't live eternally in the blessings of God, but outside of the blessings of God. Everyone will bow. Everyone will admit who God is. Everyone will recognize Jesus' place in this universe, whether you like it or not. My suggestion, Paul's suggestion, is to do so willfully. Actually, reality is, the only way to be lifted up in God's kingdom is through willful lowering. The only way to get to the top is by lowering. The only way to experience life is through death. You want to follow me? Good. Pick up your cross daily. Willfully die daily and follow me. You want to gain life? Okay. You have to lose your life for my sake and then you can find it. You want to be exalted? Good. Humble yourself. Get on your knees where you belong and worship the God who made you. Bible says this in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. James chapter 4. What's the source of wars and fights among you? Why aren't you unified? Why do you experience disunity and discord and division and separation in your churches, in your life groups, in your ministries, in your homes, in your workplaces, in your communities? Don't they come from within your passions, your own interests, your own opinions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have 
You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You, you try to get to the top, hurting people all along the way. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Don't you know that when you reach after those empty glories, you're going to come up empty-handed? Even if you actually grab a hold of them, you'll realize they're vapor, they're weightless, they're meaningless. So whoever wants to be a friend with God becomes an enemy with the world. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists or opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Verse seven, therefore submit, bow down to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Listen, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You want to be proud? It's not going to go well for you. But if you want to experience life, if you want to be lifted up, then you've got to willfully lower yourself. Lower yourself to God and understand your place. You're not God. You're, you're as much like God as you need to be. Made in his image. That's as much like God as you need to be. The original sin was Adam and Eve trying to be more like God than they already were. Putting themselves in the place of God. Wanting what God was meant to have that they weren't meant to have. And that's the division. 1 Peter chapter 5 says it like this. I exhort the elders. Hey, the leaders of the church. We're not just talking out there. We're talking in-house now, okay? Leaders in the church. Among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing, overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You don't get to lift yourself up like the world would just because you have a position in the church. You don't get a pass on this. You have to empty yourself. You have to serve. That's what you're called to do. That's why you're in this position, to resemble Christ, to follow Christ and have others follow you as you follow him. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, the chief elder appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility, one toward another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting your cares on him, because he cares about you. There's, there's nothing else to say about it. In light of who we are, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to pursue unity. And the way we pursue that unity, the way we come truly one, is by sacrificing yourself for each other. You don't feel close to someone? Try serving their socks off. You feel like there's something between you and your spouse? Then get on your hands and knees and serve them. If you want your kids to look back on their time in your home, 
Then humble yourself and serve them. Paul doesn't give any of us an excuse. He says it here. He says it for Peter. Paul also says it in Ephesians chapter 5. Submit yourselves as one to another. So that means like husbands, love your wives and give yourself up for her. Empty yourself for her. Lay your life down for her. Wives, submit to your husbands just as you would to Christ. We love each other by serving each other. We sacrifice for each other. We become one to humility. And humility looks like sacrifice. It looks like emptying myself for you, not just out of the overflow or the leftovers, but digging deep. Even when I don't feel like I have it, I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I say all this knowing me, knowing my own propensity toward being selfish, seeking empty glory knowing that this seems impossible, but also knowing that God has made it possible. With man, this may be impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. Brothers and sisters, I want to be part of a church that serves each other so well that we become like one. I don't just want that then in heaven in eternity when sin's been done away with and death is no more. I'd like to experience some of that now. My commitment to you is not just seeking after my own interest, but rather, instead of my interest, seeking yours. My my commitment is to pursuing the unity that Jesus desires for us, that he made us to experience. And my prayer is that in light of this text, you would also join me in that that you'd long for that, that you'd take up the mantle of wanting to serve humbly the people in this room and in this world that need to know Jesus. If you are somebody who has put your faith in Jesus, we do this thing every week. We take communion together. And it is a reminder of who God is, what he has done, the new identity that he has given us. It's also a celebration of those things that we get to experience even a little piece of that as we anticipate his return. We get to take bread and remember his body that he put on for a time in order to consider our interests and to put ourselves above himself. We drink this cup which represents his blood making us clean and making us actually able to do things like humble ourselves to achieve unity. We we do this to try to be one as a family. And so, if you do consider yourselves part of the family of God, citizens heavens, take this bread and eat well. And take this cup and drink well. Now, in light of the mercies of God, let us stand and let us worship.